Diane, it's the fourth week of our investigation, which brings us to the burial of Laura Palmer. Honestly, I don't know what it is about Americans and their need to be so wasteful about funerals. They feel the need to pump you full of chemicals, stow you in a box, and bury you in perfectly good real estate. For what? In Scotland, we have benefited from hundreds, nay thousands, of years of tradition. When someone dies, we stuff the mouthful of celery, strip the body of any valuables, and hurl the corpse in, into the town square to be eaten by rats of the less, the less fortunate. Hang on a second. David, this is not how people in Scotland behave. It's fine. This sounds like some shit that Bo would write. It's perfect. Cut. Drop it. Duncan and Bo come correct. Hey, everyone. It's Bo. I'm here with my friend Duncan, and we're going to talk about Twin Peaks some more. <laughs> you also sound like you're, you're about to bring in the sweet sounds of smooth jazz. <laughs> hey, why don't you pour yourself a cup of tea, pull up a chair, and enjoy your evening with us. Bo and Duncan, as we go to Twin Peaks. <laughs> that's our that's our new opening. Yeah, and now Slappy Stan in the C65. Interf- new rendition of Pick a Toenail from a Shoe. <laughs> Interesting side note about Slappy Stan. He once played the drums so hard and so fast, one of his arms literally came off. And now, let's spin the track. <laughs> We are ruined on this show, Bo. We could be, we could literally have an audience of three people and do a jazz show. We should do a jazz show, but only... Well, this wouldn't be that hard, actually, now that I think about it, but a jazz show that focused on tragic histories of music, musicians, <laughs> where every track was preceded by the awful way they died or abused a relative or something like that. Oh, we'd end up like... what was What's the name of the DJ? Oh, he's got that famous soundbite, the angry one. Oh. Wolfman Jack, Casey no, Kasem, no, no, no. Casey Kasem, and he has to come out of like some happy track and talk about snuggles, the the kitten dying or something. It's the it's one of my favourite clips. If you've never I, heard yeah. it, Bo, you uh, it's he's like I gotta every single time I gotta come out of this goddamn upbeat tempo, and now I gotta sing about a, a dead pet here you know, every fucking time. And it's just like, it's fucking you know, crazy. he's not wrong. He's not wrong about that. Him. I would agree with him. Like, if you're coming out of an upbeat song, the first thing you should not be talking about is the death of one's pet. Um, here in America, Duncan, um, you may have been following the news, but <laughs> okay. uh, kittens have been outlawed here. Um, all police and metropolitan workers have been issued a hammer mm-hmm. uh, to deal with the kitten scourge. Apparently, they are too cute and adorable. Uh, the yes. way that they play and tumble over one another uh, is a distraction in our nation state. And, uh, yeah, so we're done. No more kittens. We're we're driving them out like uh, you did the snakes in Scotland. Um, it's, no, snakes in Ireland, but I'll let you off. Um, <laughs> snakes weren't driven out of Scotland. Um, we, didn't, we never had any anyway. It's too cold over here, Bo. No what? fucking... No one would stay over here. Now, why, why do you think the Loch Ness Monster only gets seen like once every 50 years? Right, it's your Puxatawney Phil. Just <laughs> yeah, if you see Nessie extend her dinosaur neck, then you get another six weeks of 
I don't know, pettiness. I don't know. You, you get you get another fifty years of miserableness. Um, <laughs> I just another day. <laughs> we we clung to that. We we can't wait for another Nessie neck appearance. Like, yeah, another fifty years of miserableness. Aye, it's raining. Finally. <laughs> it's always raining. It's raining just now. <laughs> And I'm not even joking. It's fucking pissing down outside. And like, I'm just, I'm just going to say, you're talking about like uh, following the news just now. I'm just going to say how bold and brave we are just now, recording a show that has clearly been wiretapped. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, everything is Duncan to one degree or another. Um, oh, Jesus Christ! I swear to God, we have the only president on the face of the earth that causes international incidents because he takes his phone to the shitter with him. Yeah, uh, it's the worst. I, I again, I don't care what political aisle you you sit on. I think we can all agree this guy is a clown. Oh, so. The guys are more. The guys are more on China, China, China. Uh, it, yeah, I know it's just so hard not to do. It. All right, I, all right. You can't not do. It. Well, Look, we're obviously here to talk about Twin Peaks. Yeah, everybody. We took, a, knows we that. took an extra week off. Yeah, um, purely because we were up to our proverbial tits um in twin peaks goodness and i was like that bo too much of a good thing is bad for you if you look at it too much you will go blind i and also let's be honest the last episode we put out was good for like three weeks to a month that was oh god that was so good that episode i contend is one of the more entertaining episodes we've ever done and and we have been working together now for 37 years <laughs> so that's a lot of recording yeah, it's like we started recording two years before I was born. Yeah, well, it's it's complicated. <laughs> Not much, possible. Much like Arrival, Duncan, this is something you will understand later. Oh, such a good movie. Oh, a real, oh that movie such is real good. Such a good movie. Uh, but uh, in addition... have my babies. <laughs> Sorry. Hello? I, yeah, no, Amy Adams is, is a perfect good. Um, yes, she is a, a very talented actress. She seems like a wonderful person, and she's just cute as a the box of kittens I remember from my youth, uh, but no more in this country. Um, but all right, no, I I actually wanted to sidetrack us for a second because on on the original incarnation of this show, and and a thing that will eventually happen again, much like the sun rising in Scotland. Um, <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly rising. It's like it's winking at you. Fuck you, son. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The only time the sun ever comes out in Scotland is after someone's burned in a wicker man. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Except there wouldn't be folk songs and that kind of thing to get someone in the wicker man oh no it would just be get in there (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't want to go get in you sorry fuck you're getting so much better at that you know what you know what helps a scottish accent rage cursing Uh, cursing and anger (laughs) i've learned yeah you you add anything any of them to the lexicon it instantly makes you more scottish yeah Yeah. uh, fuck you Yeah, yeah, it it it's totally. It's like uh, saying tangerine gets you into a New Zealand accent. Yeah, tangerine. You know, I, that was a poor example, but like that's the word. Like if you can get tangerine right, you've got the vowel 
right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, the word "fuck" is the same for the Scottish accent. I think <laughs> the, the it's "fuck you." You've got to you you've got to get the "u" yeah. in there, and then you're, you're or or as Billy Connolly um, very famously in one of his interviews uh, protests, it's the it's the pairing of the words "fuck" and "off" that is quintessentially Scottish. Fuck off like that. And it was like that. And even if some of you're in a foreign country in an airport and you say to someone, fuck off, they know, and off they fuck. <laughs> <laughs> off they fuck is a great set of words. <laughs> um, no, all right. So I wanted to talk to you real quick about a movie that, that was, again, we we uh, got distracted. But so we used to just recommend movies to one another and one day will again. But for right now, we don't really talk about a specific movie that often. And there, yes. there was a movie I saw recently. I know you had seen it, and, and if memory serves, you really enjoyed it. Um, I want to talk very briefly about uh, Ouija, Origin of Evil. <laughs> I didn't really enjoy it. Did you not? No, I, I, th- I thought it was interesting. Um, I thought I had some issues, though. <laughs> Um, not a terrible movie, and not not Flanagan's best work by any stretch of the imagination. But I think he elevated it by quite an extent from the previous outing. Um, yeah, so and the previous the previous movie was bland as shit, and this one actually felt authentic uh, to the time period, and the family dynamic was great. And I actually really enjoyed the story. Um, I just felt that some of the CGI. Uh, kind of started to get a bit distracting, and I didn't particularly like the way the movie ended. But out with that, I thought it was it was not a bad movie at all. Yeah, well, the, the point I wanted to make about it one, I I did enjoy it uh, quite a bit uh, during mm-hmm. during the watch. Like afterwards, I was like, "Hey, why did she show up at the end?" Um, you yeah. know, <laughs> like I thought she was okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> so I had some of that, but. During my my time, just like sitting down, eating dinner, watching uh, a movie, watching a horror movie, which is what I do when I eat dinner. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I thought uh, just what you said, like watching that movie, I have seen the original Ouija. Mm -hmm. um, And I could not tell you anything about that movie other than they look through the planchette to see stuff. And yeah. that's kind of all I remember about it. Yeah. I, I mean, it was a just... A, a lot of people really shit on that movie. I don't think that movie is the most god-awful thing I ever saw. I just think it was one of the most unremarkable movies I ever saw. Yeah. I think sometimes people get that muddled up. I think I think sometimes people um, shit on movies for being bad when what they actually mean is the movies themselves, it's well shot. Yeah, I mean, um, so so it's not a bad short movie, or the special effects aren't bad, but what they mean is the stories. You know, it, it's, it's biggest it, the biggest crime of Ouija is that it is wholly unremarkable, like at all. Like you, like the, the first kind of witchboard movie in like decades, and the best we get from it is something that is. Uh, completely unmemorable i mean i'm the same as you i watched that movie when it came out and it finished and i was just like right yeah then is the the i mean if you compare it to a movie like the bye bye man it's a fucking masterpiece um so anyone wants to talk 
oh, dude, we need to do a show on the Bible. Right, like, we just will, a Duncan and Bo, yeah. like, tear apart a movie, and we need to do the Bible. And that, that, that movie has fucking rants for days. Like, I'm telling you, you will never exhaust that. Like, I, 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 I'm surprised you've not seen it. You're usually the guy that says, let me tell you a movie that you don't need to watch, and then you tell me it. Yeah, <laughs> well, like, but I, I, I wasn't going to turn out to the theater for that one because I'd heard already what, what a shitty movie it was. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go through the trouble of going to the movies for that when I'm not going to the trouble of going to the movies for much better films. Yeah, yeah, I understand. And uh, so, at any rate, uh, when it when it comes out on video, I will see it immediately. Have no fear. <laughs> we need to. We, and, we need to do a, a reaction piece. Yeah. Honestly. All right, so listeners, you've been warned. There will be a return of Duck and a Bow come incorrect, focusing exclusively on the Bye Bye Man. Um, but all right, but just to kind of wrap up the the Ouija Origins of Evil thing, um, I I agree with you. I thought the story was really good. I like the characters. There's something I like about sort of fake spiritualists coming into yeah. contact with real forces. Um, I thought that the dynamic between all like the mother and the daughters was all really good. Um, Hen- uh, Henry Thomas or E.T., whatever his name is, uh, when E.T. Uh, as the priest, like I thought the dinner date scene was kind of interesting. Like it was just like a lot of nice little Flanagan touches. Yeah. And but it, it was still kind of a dopey movie. But I still think the kind of tentpole moments of that movie worked really well um when you see the girl first get properly possessed i think that's really unsettling mm-hmm. um and i think it has kind of a brutal and, and mean-spirited ending that i can really get behind up until the very very end and then it yeah. was like what the what does she <laughs> i guess that was their way of tying it to the the first film which this is technically yeah they kind of have to. to do it yeah which is like, i kind of felt like i would much rather have seen this as the first installment you know what i mean and then they yeah. can go and do a mod yeah if i'd been that way i think you know maybe it felt less like forced at the very end to, to have that ending but i mean flanagan did that movie because he wanted to do hush that was the trade-off i get to do hush and i do your read your movie fine Let's do it. Yeah. And to be honest with you, most directors slum it through their studio effort so they can get to do the feature. And what we've realised that even even if Flanagan isn't fully invested in what he's doing, he still puts out things much better than the majority of working horror directors out there. So yeah, it's like a a B. I would give it like a solid B minus on the Flanagan I'd, scale. Yes. But on the actual, like, I'm going to the movies to see a horror movie and no fooling, I'm going to a real movie theater. Um, it's like a A minus. Yeah. Uh, on that level. So, uh, but I really, like I, I like I said, I really enjoyed my time with it. And then walking away from it, I, I started to pick it apart a little bit. But I, I just thought for Mike Flanagan uh, being a fan, as I am, uh, of his films, uh, I still think Absentia is just one of the creepiest things. Uh, oh, the Absentia is like for for a debut film. I mean, that's incredible. It's actually incredible. It's jaw dropping how tense 
that movie is when you see nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, truly. Yeah. Absolutely. It's all shadows. That's what's terrifying about it. It's all shadows. It's incredible. Yeah. It, but like that guy, like you said, even even when he's kind of slumming it on this, you know, larger budget or, or certainly franchise, uh, fingers crossed franchise uh, film. Um, yeah, that like he, he gave a shit and made that, made that the best prequel to the movie Ouija he could make it yeah. and, and it really shone through. So, uh, well done, Mike Flanagan, our Yay, official, Mike Flanagan. I'll say very, very, I'll say very, very quickly since we're, we're doing this now, apparently on this episode, right. um, I went out and saw the, <laughs> I saw the new Ben Wheatley movie. Yeah. Free fire. Yeah. Oh. So good, so good. Totally not what you're going to expect from Wheatley at all, and I can't wait for you to see it. It's fucking hilarious. Like really? actually, it's like sightseers funny. Okay, but, all right. Yeah, because it's a comedy. It's a comedy. It's like a like a action comedy um, set in the seventies in Boston, and it's a trade off between. Um, an arms dealer and an offshoot of the IRA. The cast is fucking incredible. I mean, like Brie Larson's in it. Oh wow! Like, is yeah. I, I Brie said... Larson filmed it. Like like Wheatley was saying in the Q and A that Brie Larson filmed it prior to Room. So like everyone's now because the movies come out after Room. Everyone's like, how did you get Brie Larson in your movie? You know, Oscar winner Brie Larson's in your movies. Like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> She'll love the script. Um, so, <laughs> is um, National Treasure Brendan Gleeson in it? If not, why not? not? All right, he's not. Michael Smiley's in it though, and Michael Smiley is like the the angrier Brendan Gleeson. So they're both from my. He's like Michael Smiley's been in. I think he's been in every every Wheatley movie minus. I don't think he was in High Rise, but he's been in all the other ones, and I think he's fucking incredible. But um, you've got uh, Killian Murphy's in it, um, uh, Sharon Copley's in it, and he is fucking, he's the funniest thing. He's sure. the funniest thing you will see in that, because he plays, um, he plays like a South African arms dealer, who <laughs> right. is like, maybe gay, but it's, it's not quite, but he keeps talking like he's like some sort of hard man and he is like completely fucking useless and a total wimp it's like honestly you're go- you're gonna love it it is a movie which is about an hour and a half long and i would say 92 percent of the movie is just in a warehouse room with people shooting at each other it is fucking brilliant you got I, I, right. there's no way I, mean, I, I was watching it and i was laughing all i went to see it myself um and i was laughing all the way through it and i kept thinking Bo, Bo's gonna, Bo's gonna chuckle his way through there. I don't think it's the most interesting Wheatley movie. I don't think it's even his best movie, but I think as a, a step into a direction of, I think this might be behind High Rise, his highest budget, and it's certainly got bigger named actors and actresses involved with it. Um, it's a ton of fun, man. You're gonna fucking, you're gonna dig the shit out of this movie when you see it. Ben Wheatley's Free Fire coming this month, I think, March. Um, so keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, I no, I'm very excited. I, uh, you know, I love the Wheatley as well, and mm-hmm. uh, and sightseers in particular is like that. Have you heard of the ghoul? The what? The ghoul. The ghoul. No. Yeah, there's a Canadian there's a Canadian horror movie apparently called The Ghoul, and um, 
Arrow have picked it up for distribution. I believe they picked it up for the UK. I don't know if they picked it up for the US, but it's executively produced by Wheatley, and Wheatley's had some sort of involvement. And the words I'm hearing is, it's fucking incredible. Um, and it's coming out this year. Apparently, it's played some of the festivals, and people have just been mesmerized by how great it is. So. Um, oh, well, since we're doing just the, the movie roundup, and, then, and then this will stop, I swear. Uh, have you seen The Girl with All the Gifts yet? Yes, I have. I saw uh, last year when it came out in the cinema. I, you guys, for some for some reason, we got it like three or four months before you guys got it. I don't understand that. Yeah, uh, that that's pretty good. That's it's a good a, movie. Very, very a, good movie. That's a good movie. Um, yeah. Boy, I you know, just zombie movies in general, I never thought I, I would be back on, on board. But I've seen a handful recently, like Train to Busan and Girl with All the Gifts. Uh, yep. that are like, you know what? Oh, okay, there's a little life in the old girl yet. We we can still do stuff in in the zombie genre and not be fucking terrible. Uh, I think it's it's because they're both coming from, like, The Girl With All The Gifts is a novel, which has been adapted, and Train to Busan is based on a, I believe it's based on a graphic novel or a comic book. Um, or it's like the sequel to a comic book or a graphic novel. So it's coming from established. So it's not just someone saying, I'm going to make a zombie movie. Right, let's fling all the zombie tropes in there. It's actually based on work that has been tested to an audience already and done well. And that's why, I, that's my personal opinion as to why they're better, because the source material is better. Um, so maybe that's what you need to do. I don't think you're going to get many just out-of-the-box original zombie movies that are going to be better like than something like The Battery now. I think that I think that ship has sailed, um, but you are right. Like for for a genre that I have said God knows how many times, I am happy to see the back of that one. If it wants to go away for I don't know twenty years, I will be. I, I would not miss it. Um, it's surprising that like Train to Busan blew me away last year. The Girl with All the Gifts I thought was an incredible little movie, um, and yeah, God knows God knows what's going to come out this year with it. Uh, and we have tangent. We are. This is what you call primo tangent, right at the start of this episode. Yeah. And th- these guys are getting it for fuck all. They wanted to listen. To, you're not listening to Twin Peaks. This is the this is the the, the Twin Peaks con <laughs> episode number four. Is us just talking about shit we've seen. Yeah. I. All right. I I got to call bullshit on one thing now. Uh, Train to Busan. Uh, I verified this because I was like, I don't think Duncan's right. Um, uh-huh. Uh, not that I'm, I'm pointing fingers here, but you fucked up, buddy. Um, no, uh, Train to Busan <laughs> uh, was the only previous incarnation had been an animated film that the same director did that was sort of a proof of concept. But it, there was not uh, a previous n- novel or graphic novel or manga or anything. It was, it was, it was just mm. this guy. I'm I'm almost a hundred percent sure, and based on based on a quick googling, which uh, should it say google.gov? Um, <laughs> but uh, based on a quick Google, there is no uh, there is no previous source material other than uh, the the short film. So, um, so I said, hmm. right. So it was a short short film, and it was animated. It was an animated short film that, yes, the same director did, but I think it played some festivals. Yeah, hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not that far off then. So there is, there is sort of, I may have said written source material. It wasn't written, but it was tested source material. 
Y- yeah, I mean to a degree, but uh, <laughs> but like, but not fully fleshed out like a novel or something like that. Like it, right, it was, right, right, it right. was it, like the I've seen that short film and it's about twelve minutes long and it's a scene in a train station. You know, it's like by the time any any good shit happens, the movie's over or the short film is right. over. Um, but yeah, Train to Busan, it's really rocking. That's a good movie. Yeah. All right. Yeah, can't wait for that American remake. Oh, God damn. Which is coming. It's coming. It is. It is. There was a uh, French company that bought up the rights to that and uh, mm-hmm. and, and is producing the American version. Um, yeah. Boy, uh, and especially given America's incredible train system. <laughs> I mean, that's when, when you think of America, you think trains. <laughs> Uh, so that's good. Uh, it's, you know what, it's gotta be like the Chevy to Pittsburgh, uh, when the, <laughs> the American remake is done. Uh, I don't know, I could, I could go for, I could go like for a, a kind of train to Busan cake on something like Midnight Run or Planes, Trains and Automobiles. I'd watch the yeah. shit out of that. Planes, Trains and, and Zombies. <laughs> Planes, Trains and Zombies. You're fucked. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I just need something with two fucking wheels and a baseball bat with fucking nails in it. Oh my god! Yeah, one day, one day we'll do that and midnight run, so we can just do Joe Pantoliano impressions. Uh, the dude doesn't fly. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> when one time. I, Name one time that phone has ring with a complaint about me. Uh, yeah. Oh man, it's a fucking great. Movie. It is. It is. All right. Shut up, Duncan. We need to talk about Twin Peaks. We don't need to, but we're gonna. We do. We do. Well, well we kind of do, considering this is Duncan and Poco at Twin Peaks. They've, it, they've all turned it off. This is just us now. <laughs> it's just you and me, which takes a lot of the pressure off, quite frankly. And I can, I can really drink in earnest. Um, so we are, we are talking this week about, uh, episode four, Mm -hmm. um, which is rest in pain, little, little play on rest in peace there, Duncan. Yeah, no, I saw one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it is, um, all about the, uh, the, the death of, uh, one Laura Palmer. Um, but... As we get into this episode, although it's worth pointing out, this is neither written nor directed uh, by Mark Frost or David Lynch. This is, and I would say it shows. I don't know how you feel about this one. Yeah, I, well, I mean, the best moments of, of the episode are flashbacks to the episode before, with yeah. <laughs> one very notable exception, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll get to at the funeral proper. Um, what can I say? I love some Ray Wise. Uh, Ray, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot of Ray Wise in this one. Quite a lot of uncomfortable Ray Wise in this one. There is, and I love it all. Uh, but but <laughs> but first, uh, we we join, um, rejoin the, the town of Twin Peaks, and Agent Dale Cooper is emerging from his uh, hotel room, and waiting for him is one Audrey Horn. Uh, all horned up and dressed in red. Yeah. And sh- uh, Agent Lady Coop- in red is dancing with me. 
Cheek to cheek. Chris <laughs> DeBoer, man. I fucking hate Chris DeBoer. Fuck Chris DeBoer. Uh. Fucking monotone little goofy tooth fucking weird motherfucker. Anyway. Sorry. All right. That's... That became personal. Shuck a raw nerve, Bo. Shuck a raw nerve there. I... Look, th- that's a different podcast, sir. But I think I think you've got the material for it. Um, who would you rather? Who would you rather be stuck in a in a elevator with, Chris DeBar or Phil Collins? Oh, Phil Collins in a million a million times. <laughs> right, and like, who would you rather be stuck in an elevator with, Chris DeBar singing "Lady in Red" or Phil Collins doing the walk from "I Can't Walk" the music video? Oh, that's more complicated. <laughs> All right. While Phil Collins is doing the uh, I Can't Dance walk, can I ask him questions? Is he allowed to speak to me? I will will give you something that will sway towards Phil Collins. He can only answer you in reverse speak like the dwarf from Twin Peaks. Oh, well, I'm back on board. I mean, I was never... (laughs) I mean, it was always going to be Phil Collins in my heart. But, uh, yeah, no, that... Absolutely. I I have, because I would want to ask him questions about uh, what it was like to, you know, when he took took over as lead singer of Genesis and what that transition was like, because they were two different bands. And anyway, I got a lot of questions for Phil Collins. And I'm probably <laughs> probably going to ask him to sing Against All Odds, because fuck you, that's a, that's a great song. It'll break your it's heart. It's a good song. Uh, it, it won't break my heart because we've established I don't have a heart to be broken. Um, unlike unlike poor Audrey Horn, oh, yes. um, who will eventually who will, she's I love her. I really I know we keep saying this and we keep like ogling her uh, sexuality in this, and it's difficult not to. Fucking really good actress, like really really good actress. She I can see why Lynch put her in this particular role, and that she can convey mischief she can convey you know the quizzical nature pain emotion you know all these all these things just just in her eyes and her smile is she's a very emotive face which i think works incredibly well for the, and the camera fucking loves her oh does it ever yeah mm-hmm. and but you're right she she's very animated and in this scene there are moments where she appears very genuine as well and uh like i I think when they're talking about because so you know agent cooper invites her to to breakfast and has her write her uh her name um and when he reads that because agent cooper is a super sleuth uh (laughs) he's like hey you actually slipped me the note that led me to one eye jacks or you know gave me information about one eye jacks and so what is that place? And uh, and, and she tells him, well, when I checks is a place where men go. And, and Agent Cooper says, well, what about women? And she kind of laughs and says, well, women work there. Mm-hmm. And this is where uh, she reveals to Agent Cooper that Laura Palmer worked the perfume. perfume uh, I can't say the word perfume tonight. Uh, worked the perfume counter at Horn's department store. Which we also learned was the uh, the same place that uh, Renette Renette Pulaski uh, what, she was also working the perfume counter when she went missing. So, That's great, yeah. um, but but Audrey doesn't know for sure if Laura Palmer actually worked at One Eye Jacks, 
But let's face it, if she was, and given all the, the sordid details we're learning about her, not a big stunner if she's what uh, we call in the business a pro, Duncan. <laughs> a lady of the night. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have them over here as well, but... Oh, well... Someone. Trust me, trust me. When I say with it being Scotland, there's a reason they're called Lady of, Ladies of the Night because you don't want to shine a light on them. <laughs> well, thank God the sun never comes out then. Uh, <laughs> Not until Messi comes up, um, and then we're miserable for fifty years. Uh, but that's that's how it works. That's how, that's that's the through line. It's a circle of life. It, it is. It goes Audrey Horn Nessie. <laughs> <laughs> the the oh that sh- shithead who sang Lady in Red, and then oh, back to Messi. Why did you bring that back up? Uh, I just I, I don't know. I would I it, we live in dark times, Duncan. I'm just going for the kill. I'm now I'm now, I'm now thinking who do I who do I dislike more, Krista Barr or Dudley Moore? And I, I don't like Dudley Moore either. Yeah, but Dudley Moore had... Dudley Moore's like a fat Christopher. <laughs> right, well, but back when he was doing the Cook and Moore stuff, mm. there's some good stuff in there. Yeah. Like, regardless of how you feel about Dudley Moore, and I would argue Arthur is a delight. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, no, I will, give you, I will give you that, I will give you that. Arthur and, is a very good movie. It's and a very, Ar- very, very good movie. And he is, he's the reason it's a very good movie. So. Yes, and on the other hand, "Lady in Red" is a terrible song. <laughs> yeah, but he sells at concerts all over the world. Well, people go and listen to him sing that song, Bo. <laughs> people are already at a casino when he is playing that song. <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves. He's playing to a sold-out room because that came with the package. <laughs> "Lady in Red," try the shrimp. Yeah. His dance. <laughs> shrimp to shrimp. Shrimp to shrimp. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Be sure to check out that buffet. While I'm at it, there's $20 in free uh, free slot credits waiting for each of you on the way out tonight. You got to sit through the whole show, though. You got to sit through the whole show. How did my, end, my life end up like this? <laughs> right. Give me the gun. Give me the gun. <laughs> Guess what? The encore ain't Lady in Red. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's the real fuck you yeah it's like the encore isn't it? the encore isn't lady in red it's a new song of my new album right <laughs> gotta sit through it if you want them slot credits no slot credits enough that is, <laughs> no. is worth that no no slot credit it's a special place in hell reserved for christopher i don't know why i focused on him but it's like a laser target it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator where fuck you asshole. That's what I'm like now. It's just... So you're the predator in this scenario? I am. I've got the tri-laser like, target thing is right on that bastard. Alright. was <laughs> like, okay. Uh, well, yeah, I so, mean, so... <laughs> you want me to talk you out of being the predator? That sounds badass. Uh, it's badass. And, it's and almost as good as Homeless Predator. Homeless I'm just trying to be supportive. Homeless Predator. I'm just trying to be supportive because I totally see the value in being friends with a Predator. Well, yeah. I, I mean, he's, he, he, he can be invisible. Right. Uh, self-heals. I, I think you're missing the, the big plus here, which is that 
he's a cold-hearted murderer. And there are some yeah. people I want to see go. <laughs> that's the, you know, that's always good to go. I don't think that's how the predator kills people, but you know, he's in town with a few days to kill Duncan. Killing is what he do. <laughs> a few days to kill. If you know what I mean? Wink, wink. Right. Um, what, one I, of I, my favorite taglines for any, any movie. I, I am <laughs> at the risk and the risk of trying to be professional here. I, I, what I kind of love about this is how obvious, um, like, Agent Cooper, like, like I, I, Audrey is so kind of infatuated with him, and she kind of takes her eye off the ball that Cooper gets her to write down. She's like, why am I, you know, I, I'd be thinking, why am I having to write on this bit of paper? And, you know, she's like, yeah, you're the one that's, you know, straight away, she's like, you're the one that wrote this note here. And she falls right, she's like, yeah, it was me. She doesn't try to hide it either, which I like. She's very upfront and very honest, even though she is manipulative at the same time. Or playful. She is, she is. I mean, she's obviously flirting with him, but when she talks about Laura and saying, um, you know, I didn't really know her, but I felt like I understood her a lot better than a lot of the other people. Like, I think I think that's a genuine moment. I think she, she's being honest with him. And... Um, and then, uh, Her Sheriff Harry S. Truman and Lucy come in. So he's like, fuck off, Audrey. And <laughs> off Audrey fucks. Off Audrey fucks, that's right. And, uh, so because when we last left Agent Cooper, he was saying, Harry, I know who killed Laura Palmer. Meet me tomorrow morning for breakfast. No, it can wait. Yes. And so, obviously, uh, Sheriff Truman is very curious to hear what this news is. And what he gets instead is a lesson about how dreams work. Mm -hmm. And as well as a des description, as we alluded to earlier, one of the better parts of, uh, of this episode is just flashbacks to the Red Room scenes and the, the dream yep. sequence. Um, but he, he relates the events of the dream. Uh, you know, all about Mike and Bob and Lucy is like Mike and Bobby and uh, Agent Cooper shoots that. And he's like, nope, different Mike, different Bob. Um, they're not related. But he says, look, the job is simple. Here is the dream. But I don't remember what the name was when Laura Palmer said, you know, who her killer was. Mm -hmm. So we, th what they have to do is decode the dream is the plan yes so again more holistic crime solving from the same guy what brought you throwing rocks at bottles to determine likely suspects so, it's basically the pre precursor to dark gently the tv yes. show that's currently on the go at the moment holistic detective that's, that's essentially was <clears throat> such an influential show this this Twin Peaks. it truly truly is and <sighs> All right, so everybody is on board, right? Like Sheriff Truman and Lucy are, are on board. Um, then we move to either a tent or the morgue. I'm not sure which. Uh, it looks like a tent. But at any rate, it's, it's, it's obviously a stage. It is, mm -hmm. This is one of the more like, hey, this show is kind of cheap sometimes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like for all its genius there are some times where it's just like yeah this does not look like a great set um but we're in a morgue and it is uh albert uh rosenfield examining the body 
and he is really determined to just lay into her with a drill. Yeah, yeah, he's, he has specific techniques and methods which will help him get the most out of this cadaver. Um, and it turns out, as he did not know her, and this is not a small backwoods town, um, turns out that lack of emotional connection to the body is not shared by the current doctor um, there, or mortician, or mortuary worker, or whatever. He, he is mortified when... You see what I did? Mort, mortician? Mortified. I get it. Yeah. Yep. He is mortified uh, to find out exactly what he's going to do. And I don't even think he knows exactly what he's going to do either, but he just sees the implements that come out, all these instruments of of uh, destruction, so to speak. And he... There's there's a good old fashioned pissing contest here, Bo, and I, I like I like it I like it. Yeah, I mean they like basically they need the body. The the townsfolk need the body because today is Laura Palmer's funeral. They got to put this body in the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, Miguel Ferrer is, as you said, you know, like look, I've got work to do, and I don't give a shit about your you know rural customs, and. Uh, so in comes Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman, and uh, Sheriff Truman just lays out uh, Miguel Ferrer here, who ends up on top of the body, uh, punched right in the face, mm-hmm. and uh, then you know Agent Cooper kind of lays it out for Miguel Ferrer, and is like, "Hey, these people are good people." Uh, you're not going to screw with them. If they tell you they need the body, they need the body. You do your job to the best of your ability, all that shit. And uh, just kind of gives them the riot act a little bit and is like, that. I'm giving you a direct order. So the body of Laura Palmer is going to go fully unexamined, but we're going we're gonna to bury this girl today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the, like, Agent Cooper, probably my favorite moment in the this whole scene, other than seeing Miguel Ferrer insult uh, the good people of Twin Peaks, <laughs> which is always a delight. Because uh, it's really creative kind of stuff. Like, um, you know, when he talks about, like, their forefathers being stupid for, like, settling there or whatever. And he says, well, fortunately, stupidity is not an inherited trait. So listen close and maybe you'll you'll understand what I'm about to tell you. That kind of stuff where he's... It's just the most condescending shit ever and it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, the body's being released. And then we go to the, uh, the Palmer household where uh, Leland is being medicated. I d- thank God. Yes. He was a little on tilt last episode. <laughs> And understatement of the year brought to you by Bo Ransdell. <laughs> For more understatements like this. Uh, <laughs> so interestingly, he is watching a soap opera. Uh, the one that kind of runs through the show mm-hmm. and uh, right on time. Uh, his it's, I guess Laura's cousin. Yeah. This is quite interesting because Laura's, See when you hear Laura's cousin, I think the the dream sequence because that's also Laura's cousin, but Laura's cousin in the dream sequence looks like Laura, like identical to Laura, but Laura's cousin in 
like the real world is played by the same actress, but she has dark hair and wears glasses. Right. So she is basically the Clark Kent <laughs> of Laura Palmer's here. She's, you know, she very much looks like the the more mild mannered, meek version of Laura Palmer, who, for all intents and purposes, what we've seen before is very much the the girl next door. Um, so, so what what Laura Palmer's cousin doesn't know is in like. 15, 20 years' time, that look will be hot as fuck. Yep. Um, but not in 1991. Sorry. So, yeah, real shame, though. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and and so this is Twin Peaks saying, like, hey, remember, we're we're kind of a big dumb soap opera. Because yeah. when you see the, uh, the credits for the soap opera, one of the credits is an actress playing split characters like this. Yep. Which is a nice little wink. I enjoy that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Laura Palmer's cousin has shown up and, uh, and just as introduced there because we, we've got to kind of do a tour of characters here. Um, we've got Norma at the double R diner. Uh, she is sitting down with her husband's attorney because her husband is about to get out on parole. And but she's obviously ecstatic about it because she's not having an affair with Big Ed. Yeah, well, like, Big Ed is the one decent human being in, in the whole of Twin Peaks, apparently. <laughs> and... <laughs> he, is a, he, is, he is having an affair, which I don't necessarily think denotes I don't, decent, but... I don't think I, anyone in that situation, when you're married to... Uh, uh, Nadine. Then, yeah, I mean, if you're dating somebody with an eye patch who's obsessed with drape runners, and if you get a chance to step out, you do. Um, I don't know whatever you mean, but honestly, <laughs> Nadine is dreamy. Sure, sure. I lo- Nightmare dream. Um, I, I like how she assaults her husband when she's in the mood. You know, my favorite bit was where she destroyed a metal arm on a rowing machine. <laughs> right, she's got she's got like gorilla strength as well. Yeah, it's Nadine is a special lady. Um, but really, like the whole point of this scene with Norma is just like, hey, remember that this guy's about to get out, right, kids? We'll see you in a couple yeah. of episodes. So... <laughs> Future character, ladies and gents, and guess what? He's an ex-con. Right. Uh, and then we move back to Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman, who are uh, paying a visit to leo leo speaking of ex cons (laughs) yeah so this is the first encounter with uh agent cooper that leo has had he certainly recognizes uh sheriff truman and that you know there's not a, a ton of exchange here but it's just agent cooper being like hey leo you're a big liar because he asked him, hey, did, did you ever know Laura Palmer? And he's like, no. And uh, and Agent Cooper is like, that's bullshit. You totally knew her. You're a liar. And also, you have this incredible record. And if you screw with me, I'm, I'm going to put you away. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, Agent Cooper just being kind of a badass. Yeah. He's, he's um, he is, th- this, he has... 
for those that remember, this was the this was one of the ones uh, where the stone connected with the, the glass ball. So um, Leo Johnson is up there as one of our one of our prime suspects. And I mean, the, the two of those characters are introduced to each other with, with Leo wielding a large axe and chopping wood. Um, so yeah, he's not already a scary character. And yeah, I don't, what my one of my favourite things here is where he, you know. Uh, Agent Cooper recites by memory uh, Leo Johnson's criminal record, <laughs> just as if it's nothing, just as if he was just reading out directions. Yeah. Um, it's pretty funny. Uh, it reminds you that Agent Cooper, no slouch. No, no. Slouch. he is. Yeah, I mean, he's a super sleuth. That's mm-hmm. why we have him on the case. Um, all right, so let's go to everyone's favorite uh, father and son team. Uh, this would, of course, be Bobby Briggs and his father, the uh, the Colonel. Um, yeah. And I like any scene where the Colonel is reaching out, you know? Yeah. Because it's all stated very, like, I, I've done my research, I've done some reading, here are the facts, and I'm going to present to you what, I, <laughs> what, what conclusions I've come to. And in this case, he's just saying, like, hey, I know um, your... Uh, you know, like burying lore is difficult for you and all that stuff. And, if, you know, if you need to talk to somebody, I'm here, all that stuff. And mm. Bobby, of course, is a total shit about it. Um, I, I, yeah, like, I think, like, Bobby's character is interesting in this episode. Like, very interesting in this episode because he is being a shit about it. And he's not a, he is not a nice character, but. As we will see later on, he is clearly dealing with grief on some level. He is grieving for her. He may not have loved her, but he is grieving for her. And the the way people are treating the situation, I think, is what is bringing out this reaction in him. Even more so. He's playing up even more so because of it. And... Yeah, he's not particularly nice to his dad, who looks like he has the patience of a saint. Um, he's, you know, he's, he, he, he does act out pretty pretty poorly, but like I say, I think there's... Bobby's an inter- he is an interesting character, and as, as, the, as the season moves on, he becomes an even more interesting character. But at this stage, he has a, a particular dialogue, uh, or monologue, sorry, later on, which I think like really sums up how Bobby looks at everyone in Twin Peaks. Um, and it's very much that kind of outsider teenage opinion of you know, everyone, in the, everyone in the world is fucked or everyone in the world is fake. Um, all those things that teenagers go through. All those delightful things that happens when your hormones are like all over the fucking place. Um, he kind of goes through that. And... Yeah, he's, he's dad's a, his dad's a brilliant character. I, I love his dad because it's one of those really eccentric David Lynch characters that only only exists ever in Twin Peaks. Where of course yeah. this guy always yeah. is dressed in his full military attire, just walking about the house. Not not you know not anywhere near any military base or anything. He's still dressed up like the colonel, and you know this is how he speaks to his family. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it works. It's a very interesting dynamic. I think it also explains to a certain extent why Bobby is probably as much of a, a rebel or renegade, quote-unquote, as he is when you see his family. 
Yeah, and I mean, his father, in addition to being in the military, is also, like, he's precise with his statements, he's always precisely dressed, he's a very, mm-hmm. like, organized, focused character, and then Bobby's just a lunatic. You know, yeah. just had this raw, emotional wound that just can't control himself. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, you know, I, I like these scenes, and, you know, again, when we get into season two, uh, the colonel is, I think, more front and center for a lot of that stuff but yeah uh in in the meantime um let's head back over to the police station where uh albert has finished his uh his summation mm-hmm. and is able to uh throw in some new evidence um a lot of it just corroborates what we always thought which was um that uh there's there's rope that was found uh in the um at the crime scene in the car the abandoned rail car uh that linked uh the murder of Ronette Pulaski as well as Laura Palmer but one of the bigger reveals here is that there are two different kinds of twine which means that Laura Palmer was tied up somewhere and then untied and then tied up again later yeah. uh two different locations and once on her uh like uh, up at her biceps mm-hmm. which agent cooper then says oh sometimes my arms bend back is what yeah. she's talking about there except you know it was sometimes my arms bend back <laughs> do you think david lynch was happy with that delivery of that line what do you think he would say perfect (laughs) do it again sometimes my arms bend back that one was better Better. that one was really good (laughs) that was really good yeah that was really 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 good that you know it's all he it's his direction he's just a genius (laughs) just keep shouting do it again (laughs) right no no pointers just again wrong do it again It just tells you when you fucked up. Nope. Oh my god. Uh, oh, David Lynch, why are you so crazy? <laughs> crazy like a fox. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he goes he goes through all this. He also once again gets his uh, Albert gets his little dig in that, you know, given more time with the body, who knows what else they could have uncovered, what other evidence they could have uncovered. Um, but this is the best he can do, and he has finished his his particular job at this moment. Is now done. Yeah, well, the one of the final details he gives that I just want to point out because it freaks out the sheriff was the oh, there's um, there was soap found on the back of her neck, mm. and so what happened was the killer washed his hands after the murder, and then leaned in for a kiss. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this also has my favorite insult of the episode from, uh, and, and, and from a wide selection from Albert this time, but it's when he's laying down some evidence and he points to Sheriff Turbin and goes, look, it's trying to think. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, that's a real jackass thing to say to somebody, but how wonderful. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, like I also I also love this because once again we get this 
uh, interaction between Albert and um, and uh, Agent Cooper, where you know Cooper sticks up for Twin Peaks. You know, this is not the sort of place that you know that deals with these things and you know has these these things that happen. And this is not normal here. It's normal for us as FBI agents, you know, in the big cities and all the rest. But it's not. You know, this is a wholesome place. This is the sort of place that I didn't think existed anymore. You know, like the, the kind of small slice of Americana that, you know, that you dream to see, but, you know, you, you, that was stumbled on and it's not changed here. Everything's great. And um, Albert, like, rolls his eyes as if he's talking crazy. And then we get a bit of Agent Cooper d- doing a little message to Diane. What was what, he saying to Diane, Bo? Uh, he's asking about uh, real estate. Yeah. It seems <laughs> that Agent Cooper is so uh, bewitched by the town of Twin Peaks, that he may, in fact, uh, carve out a little uh, place of his own. Um, but not before telling, in fairness, Albert, that because Albert asks him to sign um, a uh, an affidavit, essentially, re- detailing the assault uh, on yeah. Albert's person from Sheriff Truman. <laughs> yeah. And Albert, uh, or Agent Cooper, is like, Albert, I'm not going to sign that. Not only that, if uh, you know, if you try to bring this up again, then I'm going to fill out a report talking about your behavior here around these people, and you're going to get buried somewhere deep in a building somewhere. So have a little fucking respect, Albert. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm buying property. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like I need a good relationship with these people right now because I'm looking at interest rates. <laughs> see that plot over there it's a fucking steal um <laughs> yeah that's that's what we're looking for all right so speaking <laughs> duncan oh. as we were of ed and nadine earlier yep it, it's time like everybody's getting ready for the funeral right and nadine and ed are no different nadine um implies that she and ed were doing it not sure if that's a, a phrase uh, that you guys use in the UK, doing it, the sex. and <laughs> Doing the sex. Doing the sex. Yes. And uh, Ed does not look like he is happy about this at all. <laughs> he is, like, yeah, it doesn't look like it was maybe consensual. <laughs> well, and, like, she is telling this story about, like, back in high school, you and Norma were the, you know, the hot couple and I always thought that I wasn't good enough for you, but look how things turned out. And, like, I have a little bit of pity for her in this scene. Mm-hmm. But also, it's Nadine. <laughs> dreamy, dreamy Nadine. Dreamy Nadine, where she's just like, Ed! <laughs> Remember when we fucked last night? And he's yeah. like, oh, God, I can't scrub it from my memory. Like, I'll <laughs> never be clean again. <laughs> yeah, and whilst they are, well, while she is embracing him, and he's taking it, um, everyone's favorite emotional kaleidoscope, uh, Jim, pops in. Or James is what I'd call him. Uh, James pops his head around the door. Starts walking towards him, all full of piss and vinegar and emotion played out across his face, etched like like the tapestries of, of old, or 
maybe even the, the, the colour work of Van Gogh yeah. and uh, Starry Night. No, it's not like that at all. It is the most bland, emotionless expression. The kind of expression that you only get from James Hurley. Uh, and he walks in and and Ed tells him that, you know, the funeral's time they need to get ready. And James, um, I'm going to say what he says. I'm sure Bo is pretty much going to then do his impression, which will change the dynamic. But he says he can't do it. And he, he walks out of the room. Can't go to the, can't go to the funeral. Can't do it. Yeah, he he does. Like, Ed tries to go after him. But, yeah, he is, he is declared, not going funeral. <laughs> not going. And they're like, you should go, James. Not going funeral. Poor <laughs> <laughs> James. And and so he takes off. He like gets on his big wheel and just storms away. Rolls off. <laughs> 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 are you going? Are you going after him, man? I mean, I could. Yeah! I, I could literally chase him down on foot, but I think we're just gonna let this go. He looks tired. I don't think he's had a nap. Uh, he just threw the Capri Sun I gave him on the ground. Like, all of this. It's all bad news. Oh, God. <laughs> James. James. <laughs> so, uh, we then find Audrey with a different hairstyle. Mm, and, oh, even sexier. Oh. oh, I know. She has the Carrie Ann Moss cut. Yeah, uh, and mm. it turns out that Audrey has access to, is aware of, um, kind of Evil Dead Two style <laughs> pathways behind the walls of this house. Yeah, we did not know that um, this hotel is also twinned with the Bates Motel um, because there's a, there's a like there's a whole corridor in the walls and um, she knows that she can move certain panels and look into people's rooms and she peeks into her brother's room her brother has mental health issues yeah. slightly mentally challenged he's the one that wears the indian headdress yes and uh, dr jacoby is his uh fashion consultant and, and therapist <laughs> Like he, he is he is basically two Twin Peaks what Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was for fashion in the, the early 2000s yeah it, absolutely right he's <laughs> what do you have there I love it um, that's, uh, that's feathers feathers <laughs> everything that's these and it's the fenders <laughs> Jesus yeah, he, Christ yeah <laughs> He's consoling him. He's rocking with him and consoling him, and eventually yeah. they manage to get to take the the Indian headdress off. And which was um, the point of the whole thing is we got to get him in the car. We can't show up to the funeral with yeah. him wearing, you know, the headdress. So let's <laughs> let's send in Jacoby. Yeah, um, our crack team of specialists. AKA yeah, we'll, we'll Dr. send Jacoby. In, <laughs> we'll send in Jacoby, and our mentally challenged son will look at this fucking walking crime against fashion and realize do I look like that? I better take this fucking headdress off fucking walk around with this guy with his pink glasses Jesus. right like Dr. Jacoby should have just taken it and put it on himself <laughs> finally, finally. <laughs> I 
wanted so, to yeah, wear so, this for years. <laughs> for years. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's a kind of, it's, it's a little scene. It's, it doesn't really amount to much except to let us know that Audrey has a snip in place. So yeah. this is maybe how she knows her secrets. So we now move to the the actual centerpiece of this episode, the the actual funeral of Laura Palmer, uh, which goes off without a hitch, and there's really nothing to talk about. Um, <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> the episode is called Rest in Pain. Um, yeah. It's a bevy, a bevy of fucking errors coming up here. <laughs> it is, yeah. And some of them are unforced errors, in fairness. But... <laughs> Uh, the priest tries to hold it together here, and it just, he can't manage it. Um, and so, once again, another example of how people who Laura has come in contact with react kind of differently, or they say things that are weird. Like, the priest essentially has eulogy, um, for all intents and purposes, is not your standard religious eulogy you know it goes into specifically at the end where he says you know you know she's touched me and i, I you know I'll, I'll remember you you know every every day for the rest of my life it's not the sort of thing a priest would generally say you know what i mean it's just once again it's this indi- uh, indication everyone laura seemed to come in contact with especially if they were men um seemed to be infatuated with her yeah like she had a quality which just it consumed the thought of these men, um, and apparently even if you're a man of the cloth, that can happens as well. Yeah, yeah, which is strange because she wasn't a little boy. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, it's okay that movie. Listen, we can see that because Spotlight won fucking Best Picture last year, so suck it. Is what the priest said to the little boy. Yes. <laughs> And and we actually talked about Call Me Lucky mm-hmm. uh, on this very show, we which, which is all me. about that stuff. And yeah, uh, man, I, I, oh, that's such a good documentary. Yeah, that oh, um, that whole episode. fucking harrowing, absolutely uh, harrowing. Uh, one of my favorite episodes we've ever done of anything. Yeah, um, but yeah, all right, really so fucking good. So this funeral though, Duncan, like somebody's getting buried. Have some fucking respect. Um, yes. <laughs> so. Like, while they're, you know, the priest is laying down uh, his religious jive, um, which is what we call it in the U.S. Religious jive. Uh-huh. Ow! Get down with my bad self, Jesus. Um, so. My favorite bit was when he started slumping over as if he didn't have any energy left. Right. Like, and the black musicians came behind him and put over. a cloak on him. Yeah. Yeah. Put a cloak on him and he suddenly got back up and did the splits. Yeah. Then oh. Broken It Papa's got a brand new bag. Um, <laughs> it's really good. If you haven't seen this episode yet, you're in for a treat. The surprise yeah. musical number is better yeah. than anything you'll see in the Blues Brothers. <laughs> uh, so, but so Agent Cooper is looking around at all the attendees and giving them the huh, huh, give them that look, you know. Yep. Now what? he sees Audrey Horn and he's like, ah, yeah, and then he's like, so Audrey, me. and then he's back to getting people out. Right. It's like the huh, huh, sup, huh. <laughs> and <laughs> it's because Agent Cooper's smooth, man. 
What's that appropriate thing to do at a funeral? Huh? Huh? What's Yeah. And then James shows up and is like, you guys have a funeral here? <laughs> hey, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, you've been bad. Uh, he is just the slothiest sloth that ever slothed. Uh, <laughs> So, Bobby sees James uh, showing up, and then he goes on his tirade. Yeah, because the 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 horn boy, um, the, the the kind of mentally challenged one, says "Amen" at the end of the the eulogy, and the priest says, "You know, yeah, yeah, that nice touch, nice touch," and then Bobby says amen and a kind of shouting voice and then he chastised the entire town calls them hypocrites and says that everyone in the town knew she was in trouble and no one did anything to help and of course agent keeper's like mm, everyone you see mm, we'll look around them all potential suspects them all and we'll take a look i will watch um he's like every single one of you and this is what i mean about the the idea that bobby is grieving he clearly is grieving. He, I just don't think his, I don't think he's mature enough to to be able to handle it in a way which isn't lashing out at absolute fucking everyone except himself. Uh, you know, God forbid he blames himself for anything. Um, and this idea that potentially some of Laura's indiscretions that we're finding out about in this investigation were known to members of the community, and no one said anything or did anything about them. Um, and then he locks eyes with James Hurley, and then we get this fantastic slow motion kind of breakup fight scene where him and his buddy, what's his buddy called again? Uh, uh, meet meet Mike, meet, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they, they, they both try and attack James, uh, and you get Bobby just screaming, you know, that he's going to kill him, he's going to kill him uh, as they get separated. And just when you think this is the worst, most tragic thing that could happen. At a funeral ball, and it is like young guys fighting and just creating a distraction. You're like, this is this is well, this 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 funeral's ruined. Nothing else can go wrong, and nothing else does go wrong, does it, Paul? Everything everything's fine. Every no, from that point on, it's a perfect funeral with one small exception. Oh, uh, what's that small exception? That is Leland Palmer, um, just wailing and tossing himself onto the coffin mm-hmm. of his his you know poor dead daughter which kind of breaks the contraption that lowers the coffin uh into the actual grave so that he is now laying on top of his daughter's coffin wailing as it jerkily moves up and down erratically mm-hmm. and that's where we end the scene yeah but his wife leans down and just says you know don't ruin this moment for me right <clears throat> because everything yeah. up till now had been fine <laughs> everything else was you know clearly okay it's a yeah. good old-fashioned twin peaks wedding that's what ha- uh, funeral sorry that's what happens um but yeah this scene is you know classic leland oh that's so leland um, it's, it's so leland you know what i mean did you go to that funeral yeah did you see when he fell on the coffin yeah it's so leland if I can tell uh, one very 
personal story. Oh. Oh. Uh, yes. Some, oh, geez, you know, 20-ish years ago now, my, my, my poor, poor father passed away. Mm-hmm. And he had been married a number of times uh, to the tune of five. Oh, right. Right. He was, he was a busy guy. And uh, there was a bit of a Leland Palmer incident at that funeral but and i i swear to god i find this really funny so feel free to laugh both you and listeners but so i didn't know all the ex-wives real well you know because there were a bunch of them and after a certain point it's like look you just call me when you've been married to one for a while um but so some of the ex-wives uh now widows um would go up and like I don't know who started it, but one of them did the, like, I'm going to hug the coffin and cry. And then it was a thing where each ex-wife was trying to outdo the one that had come before. So they got progressively more demonstrative and louder until by the end of it, it was almost the Leland Palmer. And it was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever had the the good fortune to see. It was a horrible, horrible time to see that. But in retrospect, it is some of the funniest shit that ever happened to me i wish i i wish i could i could properly convey how truly funny that was uh, a grief competition it, jesus it was and among ex-wives and it was just like holy shit if this uh, like how could you ever write this this is just the funniest stuff anyway uh well uh, um, if only i knew someone who was a writer I, you know, could maybe write a scene like that in a movie. Right, but oh. I always want to write that into a comic scene, and nobody else finds it funny. And I'm like, yeah, I guess you just had to be there, which is an awful thing to say about a funeral. But uh, <laughs> you know, like you should have, you should have been there. There was also a musical <laughs> instrument somebody invented to play Amazing Grace. Hand the God that happened. Um, yeah, it was real weird. Uh, he got real Baptist at the end and like shit was just crazy. Um, so let's get back to the double R, um, Mm. and away from funeral stories. (laughs) So, um, back at, uh, the double R, uh, Shelly Johnson is working the counter and telling the story of Leland on the coffin using a napkin dispenser as a prop because she's gone all Gallagher on us. (laughs) And that's just backdrop for uh, Agent Cooper coming in. And we're about to launch into a totally random part of this story. Yeah, this is one of these... This is one of these bits that I don't think is handled very well in the show. It's handled, like, I don't know. Other stuff they do is handled really well. This, to me, just kind of feels clumsy and rushed um and i don't i don't ever want to be put in a position where i say this scene feels clumsy and rushed when the majestic hawk is there um he's at the table and you've got big ed and harry truman's there as well and dale cooper sits down he's like you know what before we speak to you would you like some fresh huckleberry pie and Cooper's eyes light up like a kid in Christmas. He's like, yes, yes, I would. Jelly, I'll have a slice of warm huckleberry pie. I'll have a scoop of vanilla ice cream and a coffee. And I'm sitting watching there going, that's it. I don't even know what a huckleberry is, but I would want it in my pie. 
Yes. Um, I, 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 and I want a cup of coffee. God damn it, I want pie, ice cream and coffee so bad right now. Um, and I, the, the, Diane, not, not here, find out what a huckleberry is. <laughs> it's it's delicious is what it is. Um, it sounds amazing. It so, also sounds like a character from a book. Uh, well, it, it was. Uh, I'm going to assume named after the berry as opposed to vice versa. Oh, uh, it, the character, the berry was named after the character, uh, of course. Really? No. Oh, that's no. ridiculous. You son of a bitch, Bo. Playing on my naive Scottish ways to... to... <laughs> that is what the Scottish people are known for, is they're, they're e- easily duped. Well, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, you know, fucking lecture me on garbage truck. <laughs> you know, sit there, sit there, and eat something called a huckleberry, right? Well, let's just without he without sin cast the first stone. That's all I'm saying. Bob. Oh, I'm casting stones for days. There is nothing that doesn't sound delicious about a huckleberry. It's a berry that. and it's a huckle. What do you want? Uh, I'm gonna. Well, while you're talking, you're filling the people in with the, the the ins and outs of this rather elaborate secret organization, which clearly has its origins somewhere in the fucking Templar Knights. I'm going to find out what a Huckleberry is. Alright, so we get a couple of pieces of information. One is that uh, Big Ed has been working undercover, which is why he got slipped the Mickey at Jacques Renault's place. And they, uh, with Ed's help, now have... um, like uh like it's Jacques Renault's like cousin or something some little low level thug who's been running drugs across the border and they've got their hands on this guy yeah and uh it turns out speaking of secret societies that Sheriff Harry S Truman is actually uh a member of a secret society called the Bookhouse Boys along with Big Ed and Hawk and some some of the other guys from town. And first of all, there has been precious little Hawk in this episode. And he doesn't have a ton to do here. No, he's he's kind of he's he's a sexy smoldering backdrop. You are damn right he is. This guy smolders <laughs> with the best of them. But this is also the first time that we hear a character talk about this thing in the woods. That there is something out there in the woods that is uh, evil. And that, you know, he, there, as we have been talking about on this show a ton, there is something about Twin Peaks, right? It's a small town. The, uh, there, there are values uh, you know, the way that uh, Agent Cooper puts it is that when a murder happens in this town, it's it's not a faceless thing. It affects everyone. But the cost of that is that they have to be ever vigilant against this, this secret thing in the forest. Mm. Um, and uh, that is the role of the Bookhouse Boys, to keep evil at bay, which sounds awesome, and it should be awesome, yet somehow it's not awesome in like this episode of Twin Peaks when everything points to this should be great. But yeah, it's somehow not. Yeah, well, I'll tell you why it's not. Because Laura Palmer died a mysterious death and a girl came walking out of the fucking woods and there's this message called Fire Walk With Me and 
which they found there, and Agent Cooper's been regaling off all these dreams, these fucking shaman-like visions he's been having, and all the rest, and everyone seems surprised at this. The people that seem surprised at this are involved with a secret organisation who know that there's evil in the woods, and this seems like a, a surprise to them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Bad writing, bad writing. Yeah. Sorry, and I, you, that's what I mean, it's handled clumsily. If, if you know, it was established somehow that they couldn't show their hand or give away the hand of the organisation as, as such they were playing dumb towards it. I can kind of live with that. It's not even attempted here. It's very, very clumsy. Also, can we talk about how bad the French-Canadian accent here is in this scene? One of the worst accents I have ever heard. Um, like, ever. They may as well have... Yeah, I don't know. The, the, it reminded me... <laughs> It reminded me of the fucking guy from Waterboy. You know, the one that told that easy wrong is only one. Yeah, yeah. Basically, that's what he said. It's as bad as that one. One is played for comedic effect in an Adam Sandler movie, and the other one's in a fucking David Lynch production. Uh, You know, I think there are more similarities than you would think. Um, (laughs) By the way, a a Huckleberry is is of the same family as a blueberry, which we have plenty of. Yeah, it's kind of a blueberry-raspberry sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, I now feel satisfied. Yeah. It, it Again, quite delicious. Uh, blueberry pie is amazing. I want blueberry pie. Mm. Blueberry pie and vanilla ice cream is is really very good. <laughs> People are listening to this right now going, I want a slice of blueberry pie and something. Well, oh, and uh, uh, one thing we skipped over earlier in the episode when uh, we were at the uh, the great northern when agent cooper was eating breakfast and he has this moment where he talks about the beautiful joining of ham when syrup touches it and he's right he is oh 100 percent correct about that sir yeah and I, I am not ashamed to say that when he was describing that beautiful manager that i got like one of the most touchy directions i've ever had in my entire life just hearing him speak like that was like fucking audible viagra yeah I, it, it happens to every man and every woman. Every woman gets erect. The clitoris yeah, like... <laughs> shoots out like Pinocchio's nose. Oh, God. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. They get a visible nub. Um... You can email all your complaints to bow at legionpodcast.com. Um, yeah, if you, if you want to, if you want to also send like pictures of why it's not like that, Bo will observe them as well. I am nothing if not a scientist. Uh, <laughs> a scientician. I'm a scientician, well versed in the art of rocket surgery. Um, so, all right. So, Jacques Renault. Speaking of, uh, he he is aware that his his like nephew or whatever the hell he is uh, has been nicked. Because ah, the, the red light is showing at the, yes. at the bar. The red warning light. And he phones his his handler, so to speak, who is none other than... Ah, one Leo Johnson. Yeah, the man is like the criminal mastermind of Twin Peaks. I, I mean, look he, at his competition. He is he's Twin Peaks' Dr. Claw. Um, <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. He's like he's sitting there going, "I'll get you next time. I'll get Cooper. you, Cooper." Yeah, yeah. And then background here, because the cat. Yeah. Um, what was the cat's name was... on Inspector Gadget? I, 
cat? Did we ever hear the cat's name? I don't know if we ever did. I'm sure that somebody knows this. Someone's shouting at their device right now, and, and to be honest with you, we've got more important things to talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, Leo has to go pick up uh, Jacques Renault, but before he picks up uh, Jacques Renault, or as he's leaving, we see that Shelly now has a gun. Oh, yeah. Shelly's got a gun. I mean, no, that's not the that's not the lyrics. All right, Twin sorry. Peaks, come on, done. <laughs> you ever listened to any of David Lynch's actual albums? I I have not actually. Oh, I should. You, you have to check the the last one he released was a couple of years ago, and it's as delightfully weird as you think it is. It's all this weird kind of electronic, trippy slide guitar. Like drum loops and all the rest, and it's him just saying phrases in the background, and it's the like, last call, last call. Oh. It's, it's totally, it's totally that you need before the next step. I'm, I'll send you, I'll send you a video when we finish. All right, all right, we will. I, I will try to uh, perfect that. Uh, so. Let's uh, let's scoot over to the residency next Tuesday. Uh, Catherine Martell, who, as we know, is having an affair with Benjamin Horn and is trying to get her grubby little meat hooks back on uh, the the log mill. Um, and so in the previous episode, Josie Packard, as played by the adorable Joan Chen, had found duplicate sets of uh, books, uh, financial books for the mill. And when she goes to show Sheriff Harry S. Truman uh, that, hey, there, there was a, another ledger here, um, there it's gone. It, it's just mm. the one ledger. But Sheriff Truman, because he's a good upstanding guy and because she's Joan Chin, let's not kid ourselves, is mm -hmm. like, I totally believe there was a second book. Don't sweat it. I'm on your side, Josie. Um, but we see that Catherine Martell, a real see you next Tuesday, has the second ledger and is now hidden it within uh, the desk in her room, uh, but not before she gets uh, foul-mouthed with Pete, which I don't appreciate. Oh, no one appreciates that. Pete, Pete Martell's a good guy. He and Big Ed are... He's a, he's a kind of salt of the earth. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if we if we learned that Big Ed and, and Pete are related. It's, it's like, <laughs> they're just too good. Uh, and so, uh, oh, wait, I feel like I skipped, skipped over something. What did we miss? Oh, I remember. Okay. I, I had to check my notes. It's the fact that Josie thinks she's going to be murdered. Like she believes that her husband was killed and she thinks she's next on the, uh, the chopping block in, in an effort, you know, for. Catherine Martell, who you may recall is a real see you next Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Catherine Martell is listening in because of like the whole house has speakers and stuff in it. Um, so she knows what the conversation is that's going on and, and that Josie is kind of on to her. Um, and then it's time to let Dr. Jacoby shine a little bit. Is, I think he's like that. That character needs to be set free. He needs to walk along in the most horrendous 
outfit with this weird trench coat, which he then produces a bouquet of flowers from, like a shit magician, um, <laughs> at the graveside. Because uh, he, he wasn't at the funeral, because he likes to make a, <laughs> a late entrance, <laughs> fashionably late and all, you know, yeah. keyboard being fashionably. Um, fashion. Um, so yeah, he shows up and he is... He is uh, spied by one Agent Cooper who, I'm assuming, was checking the grave to see if anyone was going to show up. Yeah, why not uh, stake it out? Early. Yeah. It's genius. We keep saying it. Like, Agent Cooper is a real deal. Yeah. Uh, well, he's a super sleuth, as we have mm-hmm. established on this show. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this is really a, a nice scene for Russ Tamblin, who plays Dr. Jacoby, um, where he kind of lays out who his character really is. Yeah. And uh, basically he says, like, I couldn't come today. Uh, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't bear this. And then he says, I'm a terrible person. And yeah. it's because I sit and listen to everyone's problems and they think I'm their friend, but I don't care about them. I don't care about their problems. I don't care about them personally. But Laura made me care. Like, I cared about her. And so it, it, it's a nice moment. And, uh, I, I, you know, Russ Hamblin's an actor who's been around for damn ever um, in, in older movies and whatnot. And, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, Agent Cooper just kind of leaves him be, heads over to the roadhouse. And uh, while Harry Truman and Joan Chen are getting it on. Let's get it on. I've been really trying, Joan Chen. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So let's get to the most awesome Hawk Hawk moment of the night. There haven't been a ton, but when Hawk does something, he does it with style. He does do it with style. I'm not even doing it because I know the sound drops are coming. Uh, oh, one of my favorite additions to any any part of any podcast ever is the addition <laughs> of the actual proper caca. Yeah, it's uh, it's important, and that that's how important Hawk is to me. But so they're at the roadhouse. It, it's Hawk and Agent Cooper hanging out, having a beer, and wouldn't you want to be at that table? Oh yeah, it's like the best conversation ever. There's some spiritualism going on there. There's some cold heart detective stories. There's uh, some Native American uh, folklore. There's just you're sitting beside the two manliest cops in the history of manliest cops. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I tell you what, I just didn't like the greatest thing ever. In fact, I, I would give my left testicle to be at that table drinking with them. Yeah, and and so Agent Cooper and Hawk are talking about souls, that, you know, like because uh, it starts with uh, Agent Cooper asking Hawk, "Do you do you believe in the human soul?" And Hawk, in an awesome response, says, "Several." Mm-hmm. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Agent Cooper. <laughs> and and uh. Uh, Agent Cooper rightfully is like, Hawk, that was a fucking awesome answer. Please continue. <laughs> Dude, I'm so fucking high right now. <laughs> I am into this, Hawk. Uh, also, do you have any Cheetos? Yeah, um, I was just, just waiting. Like, see, this is, how you, this is how you put forward the premise of 
different planes of existence and different levels of spirituality in a very cool sort of way. Unlike the Alex Jones approach, which is not like that at all. The fucking vampire pedophiles from Mars are using the monolith to go back in time to control the elders who are the elite lizard people of the planet. It's Bilderberg, it's Bush, it's Obama. See, That's how that conversation would go. You cannot say, dude, I'm so fucking high past the Cheetos in that sentence. All you, all you want to do is put a fucking tinfoil hat on and hide in the basement of a building and rock yourself to sleep crying. Yeah. That, not Agent Cooper and Hawk, man. They're about, like, let's explore. Because, in, in fact, the, the explanation Hawk gives is you have two souls. One is the waking soul, which is mm-hmm. the soul you have when you're kind of up moving around and doing shit. And then you have your dream soul that kind of takes over when you're asleep. And uh, it goes to faraway places, Hawk says awesomely. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, oh, man, Hawk. Hawk. <laughs> Mm. And, uh, but, you know, he says, like, you know, the, uh, it, oh, it's, it's so good because Agent Cooper is like, well, d- you know, the, if the soul goes to the land of the dead, which is what Hawk says, like, and he, he says, uh, is that where Laura Palmer is? And Hawk, again, awesomely says, Laura Palmer's in the ground, Agent Cooper. That's the one <laughs> thing I'm sure of. Yeah. It's awesome. So. Hulk. Yeah. So, and then they toast. Oh my God. Like, this is the perfect table for me and the show Twin Peaks. I just want to sit down with Agent <laughs> Cooper and Hawk and then let Audrey stroll by and sway every now and again and flirt with Agent Cooper and then off she fucks. And I just want to hear them tell, like, detective <laughs> stories and talk about the soul. Um, so, they're, unfortunately, their evening. We're just is- pitching an idea for True Detective Season 3 if anyone's listening at HBO. Oh. HBO. Make this happen. That's free. You don't owe me a dime for that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah. Oh, uh, that's how you make this table better. Oh, you put in. You make it rust and coal. Yeah, yeah, of course. And and let's 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 not be selfish here. Rust and coal. We're bringing Colin Farrell's character from the. Totally fine. Totally, totally fine. Totally fine. That be, best table ever. Yeah. Best table ever. Just four cops hanging out talking about how the universe is a fucking circle yeah um, hey just, how yeah. you think the universe is a flat circle <laughs> several circles you just blew my mind <laughs> all right all right all right <laughs> i so badly want this to happen i know it's it's too good. Like that is too good. Like we as as human beings don't deserve such a good thing. We, we don't. That, which is the, isn't that the tagline of uh, <laughs> don't season two? Is that was it? We get the world we deserve, uh-huh. not the yeah. one we want. <laughs> yep, yep. That's why we'll never have this show. And it, it could just be like every every episode is my dinner with Andre. Only it's just these four characters. <laughs> oh my god! You Let's never leave the table. Yeah. No. It's just them, like every episode is them meeting up to talk about their week. Oh, could, could we get a podcast with all four characters on it? Oh, we, we could. We, we have the technology to make that happen. Let's make that happen then. All right. Um, all right. So the awesome table is is interrupted. 
by Leland Palmer, who um, is not doing appreciably better than since we last saw him on top of his daughter's coffin. Yeah, I'm also, I'm also going to say that these people that are at, I'm, I'm assuming the assumption I have is that they're at the wake or the reception, sorry. They're at the, the reception after the funeral um, up at the hotel. That was my assumption. I may be wrong because if this is the reception, everyone should feel fucking ashamed of themselves because yeah. all Leland wants is to dance with someone and everyone looks at him like he's a fucking leper. Well, when he walks out of there, people are like, the fuck was that about? So I don't think this was unofficial funereal arrangement. You just think he was up there for a few beverages. Right. Well, he just buried his daughter and then, you know, had a couple of drinks and then demanded that someone dance with him, which is where rightfully uh, Agent Cooper and uh, Hawk uh, step in. And are like, hey, we should probably get you out of here. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of where this episode ends. It's just them hauling Leland Palmer's drunk, depressed ass out of the Great Northern to take him home. Yeah. So this whole episode set over the space of a day. Yeah. It's very much wake up this morning and at the end of the day, we buried Laura Palmer. Uh, and Leland is a little bit worse the wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meds wore off. So, badly. Duncan. Yes. A- as we like to do here on uh, on, on the show, uh, we like to to quickly run down our list of suspects. Anything shift for you appreciably this week? Appreciatively? No, appreciably. I don't know. Uh, we'll fix it in post. Um, <laughs> any any anybody move up or down on your list i think uh last week or the last time we uh did the show we we're both kind of in the leo is definitely our prime suspect kind of camp he's still kind of there i think jacoby was a potential who i think is slowly starting to move down to the person of interest but not major suspect <clears throat> uh yeah I think that's I think that's where we we stand just now. This episode's a frustrating one because the show did so much awesome in the previous episode that this episode has to compete with that. And like you noted at the start, really the only thing that the episode does really, 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 really well is replay the awesomeness from the previous episode. That dream sequence we get again. Um, it's kind of clumsy. It, it's trying to move the story forward, but not move it too far. I think that's why it's all set over one day. Um, we've got a bit more information about the crime scene, thanks to Albert. Um, but out with that, it hasn't really progressed that far. We, we're not we're not really in a position at the end of this episode where we are more ahead with our investigation. If anything, it has allowed us opportunity to maybe shift the cards around slightly. As, as pertains to the people of interest in the case, but we we know a bit more about we know a bit more about the town. We know that there's maybe something evil in the woods. Yeah, uh, but that is about it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's you know coming off of the the uh, you know pilot and first two episodes, this is definitely a bit of a uh, a Debbie Downer of an episode. Uh, just because it's not as genius, there's still really good stuff in it. 
Uh, it, it, you know, hey, it's got the greatest, you know, bar table of all time. Um, oh, gorgeous. So this is officially the halfway mark of season one. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're almost done with the, the kind of investigation of Laura Palmer's murder. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, uh, you know, not, not uh, the best episode of the season, I would argue, but mm-hmm. uh, does its job. We uh, moved uh, further enough along that, you know, we still got details of the murder and stuff. And we've got actually big stuff happening next episode. Oh, yes. Yeah. Business picks up. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it's an important episode. There's some fun stuff that happens in it. But, you know, in terms of the the big news that is is coming down the pike uh, next episode. Um so, folks, uh, thank you, as always, for listening, because uh, we are now um, twice the length of the episode <laughs> itself. Yeah, well, we hadn't spoken in a week. So this is true. That this was is inevitable. True. It was inevitable. Plus, I think sometimes people like the tangents. I, yes, I, I would argue that maybe they like that more than anything else. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but thanks uh, again for hanging in there. Thanks for listening. Um, we will be back uh, more on the regular in the uh, the, the ensuing weeks. Um, whatever you happen to be listening to the show on, uh, I don't mean your phone. I mean like the program you use. Don't don't get that way with me, audience. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's hey, what you it, it's. Yeah, you, you get confrontational. That wakes them up uh, after the soothing sounds that we laid down. Um, oh. So, yeah, uh, whatever program you use to, to download the show, first of all, thanks for doing that. Uh, second of all, if you, if you would take the time, uh, if you haven't already, and leave us a rating and review, that would be much appreciated. And uh, if you know someone who is just uh, now getting into Twin Peaks, has never gotten into Twin Peaks, is a big Twin Peaks fan and just might want to revisit the show, uh, a, a reminder, we are always spoiler-free. We, we don't go past uh, the episode that we are discussing. So uh, feel free to join in any old time. And uh, Duncan, how about how about you plug something? Oh, um, what would you like me to plug? I don't know. <laughs> Your mouth. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> how very rude. Uh, yeah, uh, you can check me out on many, many different avenues. All of them, to be honest with you, in fairness, are now kind of on Legion. I think um, the main one, podcast under the stairs, or Teapots Cast, as is known. Uh, as my weekly show comes out every Monday, a uh, new episode dropped this week, and we discussed two Argento movies, Trauma from 1993 and Sleepless from 2001, and my good buddy Richard Smith from Hello, This Is The Doom Show joined me, and it was a ton of fun, and Sleepless is a movie that everyone should fucking check out, as an incredible jalo. And everyone that says, oh, Argento's not done anything great since the 80s, slap them in the face, sit them down and make them watch Sleepless. It's great. Yeah. Fucking great. Hey, so, I, yeah, check that out. Great episode as well. So, um, all right. That's going to do it this time around. Uh, you can, uh, as Duncan said, check out everything else on legionpodcasts.com. Uh, and uh, we will see you uh, in less than a fortnight. Uh, you're right. For more yeah. uh, of our investigation into Twin Peaks. Uh, now that all that is left is for us to say goodnight. So, goodnight, everybody. Good night.